So we know the things that are in our wheelhouse, and just because we can do something doesn't mean we necessarily should be doing it. Welcome to Sense Sliced Bread. I'm your host, Charlotte Atchley, editor of Baking and Snack. Artisan bread may thrive in its simplicity, but these baked goods are art and science coalescing into something delicious and beautiful. In this season, we explore the world of artisan and how it intersects with a variety of trends and needs in the marketplace today. But first, a story crossing oceans, 50 countries, and 170 years. In 1853 France, two farmers' sons saw the power of fermentation and La Soffe was born. Now a third of bread worldwide contains their yeast. And La Soffe's full baking line supplies small batch, industrial runs, and every bake in between. We'd like to thank La Soffe for sponsoring this season of Sun Sliced Bread. My guest today is Peter Sonnenstein, Executive Vice President and General Manager at Tomcat Bakery. We talk all about how Tomcat has grown over the years by sticking to what it does best and how it has supported that growth through its operations. Welcome to Scent Slice Bread, Peter. Oh, thank you for having me. So just to start off, Peter, tell me a little bit about Tomcat Bakery and the products you provide and the customers that you serve. Sure. So Tomcat bakeries. Uh, we're, we're in an artisan bakery in New York City, and we've been serving the chefs at the city's four-star restaurants, uh, landmark hotels, and sandwich chains uh, since 1987. So we're about 35 years in. Uh, we're just starting to get good at what we're doing. Um, and our products uh, have really varied over the years. We've done everything from braided challah to pretzels to Irish soda bread and Rice Krispie treats. But uh, nowadays, we're probably best known for our baguettes and uh, the, the table loaves, as well as burger buns and sandwich breads uh, and some dinner rolls. I think the, the pandemic has really caused a shift in the in the product portfolio uh, for restaurants and hotels. Um, so we... Again, we're based in New York City and we deliver fresh bread in the New York City metro area seven days a week. And then we also have a fully baked frozen bread program that we deliver through frozen distributors. Tomcat Bakery is serving some of the biggest restaurants. I mean, you're in New York City, so biggest restaurants in the world, essentially. How do you stay true to the product and the artisan process while also meeting the demand that you have to meet? It takes a lot of experience. It takes a lot of practice. And just flat out a lot of hard work. Our bakery is basically, you know, open to critique to some of the you know, choosiest chefs in the country every day. So we have to be on point. And we have a couple of advantages in that uh, arena. We have, first of all, we've got a great set of employees. And to give you an idea, the average tenure at Tomcat for an employee is about 12 years right now. So we have people with 20 years in, 30 years in. Um, who've been making artisan bread in New York City for these chefs, and they understand sort of innately what the quality expectations are and what looks good and what isn't good and what we can ship and what we can't. I think most of the chefs that we're working with, whether in New York or anywhere else in the country, know enough about bread that they would be making it themselves. 
if they had the resources and the time. So we've always approached it as we're acting an extension of their kitchens, making what they want the way they would do it if they were doing it themselves. And that that sort of lets us be very close with our, our customers and understand exactly what they need. And also, if we uh, miss the mark, uh, you know, we take that direction very seriously and, and quickly course correct. So you have this really experienced workforce, Peter, and I know artists and bread production will always require some level of manual labor, but I'm curious how much of your production process is incorporating automation. Well, I, I think there's a lot of pieces that can be automated, but even the automation is not perfect. In fact, you know, we're very picky about the equipment that we use and we are less likely over the years, I think you'd find we're less likely to buy long inflexible lines that sort of create a single sort of set of products than to have multiple small pieces of equipment that do exactly what we need for maybe multiple products and give us the results we need, but they don't, they don't lock us in to, uh, you know, a nonstop continuous process. So, you know, dividing and rounding is something that, um, you know, when you're making burger buns, you need really good equipment to do that, but you know, you may want to adjust placement. You may, every, uh, there, there's no line that runs from mixing, you know, to packing in Tomcat. Everything has a, a break in the process where we can adjust proofing. We can adjust, uh, we can make, you know, topping changes. We can do everything sort of on the fly, which means that we're very resilient because we are in a, in a daily production cycle. So we have to be able to, to, you know, meet our, our delivery times, but we also gives us, it gives us the flexibility to do a lot more with uh, less equipment. So that, that's how we've sort of approached it. I think most of the equipment we bought, in fact, in this year was what one would consider smaller pieces of equipment that just give us the flexibility to make more products but not have to hand shape every single piece. Um, but we do touch every single piece. So where do you feel it's critical not to compromise the production process or the dough when trying to maintain that quality that Tomcat is known for? I would back up a little bit and just talk about the sort of priorities we have as a company generally, because that sort of informs how we approach uh, individual products. You know, we have a series of priorities that we're following and it's, it's a very simple set of three priorities. Uh, in this order, we want to, you know, uh, first be concerned about safety. We're not going to do anything that is going to endanger, you know, our employees, our customers. We want to be aware of food safety. Uh, we're delivering. So, you know, we, we have trucks on the road every day and that's, uh, you know, safety is a critical part of our business. So, you know, we're going to, that's, that's the, you know, the first line next down is going to be quality. And for us, it's exceedingly important that we be either the best in class. We've often said about our product development process that if we're going to work on a product, we're either going to be the best one in the class or we're going to be the only person making it. You know, we're going to be the only group. I used to tell people we're the only group dumb enough to try this. So we're trying to do things that other people won't try because their equipment won't allow or it really just doesn't seem to make sense. And then finally, the, the third priority is efficiency. So once we've kind of determined what our quality level is and that, you know, well, everything's safe, quality level set and that, that quality also customer services is part of that quality. We want to make sure that we're having the best customer experience as well. But the final level is efficiency. And and so are we doing it in as smart a way as possible? So is there some equipment that might help this process be a little more efficient? Are there methods we can use to make this process work better for our employees? So 
there's there's a lot to be considered inefficiency. But I think when you look at that pyramid, you know, you can focus on efficiency and make compromises in quality and you can focus on, you know, quality and efficiency, but, you know, compromise on safety. And that that's tragic. So we like to try and keep our priorities straight so that we know as we're evaluating a change in a process or a product, are we affecting the efficiency? Great. Is it, you know, going to change the quality? Yes. Mm, is that, is that what we want to do? Like we can stop somewhere before we make a, a decision that really impacts the, the product. So having those priorities allows us to decide like, is, is this part of the process something we can automate? Do we have a, a piece of equipment that we've tested? We went through a lot of, for example, burger lines, and there were a lot of ones that were very similar. I mean, it's, it's very mature technology, but we really honed in on, you know, there was a, there was a particular way that we like the rounding to happen. And, uh, there was one particular vendor that, that met those needs. And, but we tried a lot and we sent product all over the, the globe, you know, uh, ingredients and tested things. And we, you know, once we determine what we need, we want to make sure that we, we've tested it six ways to Sunday before we make the purchase. But once we, once we're in, we're in and we've done very well with the equipment we've purchased. So. Yeah, that's, that's awesome to hear speaking to specifically keeping those priorities straight to ensure that you're not just invest making investments for efficiency sake, but remembering who at the heart Tomcat Bakery is. So Tomcat Bakery has changed hands a few times as a company, and I'm curious how those acquisitions have impacted the business and its growth. Sure. I actually first came to Tomcat. I've done, I've done two tours of duty at Tomcat. I'm on my second tour. But my, I, I came to Tomcat not long, not long after they were uh, first uh, purchased by private equity. And that was uh, a really great relationship, actually, that we had, uh, I'd like to thank some of the best PE uh, investors that certainly I've ever, ever met. They were extremely involved in our processes. They were very interested in our business as uh, the head of sales at the time. I And we were developing the Frozen program at that time to kind of grow the business. Um, I met with them monthly. I mean, they were right in our business and they were great. I mean, they were cheerleaders. They were coaches, they were mentors, they were everything that you'd really hope for. So that was a really great group. And they allowed us to be successful, both, you know, providing us guidance on where we needed to improve or pushing us when we were maybe not meeting our goals. And they, but they also allowed us to be who we were. They weren't interested in turning Tomcat into, you know, something else. And that was a great relationship that basically transitioned into, uh, the next group that purchased us, which was Yamazaki Baking of Japan. And as great as the, the PE group was, and, you know, I give them a lot of credit for structuring the business the way it's structured. Yamazaki is a, is a different kind of ownership because they're bakers at heart. They are obviously a very large baking organization, um, compared to Tomcat, but they are at their core, a group of bakers. And so when we want to talk about how we're going to develop a product or if we're going to talk about the equipment we need, they're right there with us the whole way. And they are just as interested in maintaining Tomcat's quality and sort of uh, the promise of of our brand uh, to our customers as we are. So they are not a group that came in and said, we're going to turn you into this. You know, we've we've kind of got the brand and we're going to do this with it. They were very much, we like what you're doing, keep doing it. How can we help you grow? And 
you know, having a giant organization in Japan that has an engineering division and, you know, multiple facilities and all kinds, all kinds of resources has been a great, great advantage for us. I mean, it gives us resources we never dreamed of. So we've been very, very lucky with the acquisition process. I mean, I, I would tell you, I, I know a lot of bakeries and I've been to a lot of bakeries where, you know, acquisition hasn't turned out quite so well. So I think we've been very lucky thus far and very happy with, you know, Yamazaki as a, as a corporate owner. That's wonderful to hear. And what a gift to have that kind of relationship with Yamazaki, where they value what you're already doing and just want to empower you to do more of it. Yeah. They, they actually sent a group of bakers who basically moved into Tomcat for a a month or so to learn what we were doing. I mean, they wanted to understand what our processes were and how, how we did things. I mean, Tomcat is a strictly wholesale to the trade uh, bakery in New York, but they went and opened a, uh, there is a Tomcat bakery retail store in Yokohama station in, uh, in Japan. And it's neat for our employees to see that, to see our brand, you know, and they're doing sandwiches and they're doing, you know, they're doing what, uh, you know, you would do with a, a, a brand, but they're, a lot of the breads uh, that are there are directly from our recipe book. I mean, they're, they're, they learned our formulas and our methods. And we actually went over to Japan and um, our one of our master bakers went with us and we sat down and cut through the breads that they were making there. And it was adjusted, I think, for, you know, changes in taste, but they, they, they got them. I mean, they, they did a really good job. Want to extend shelf life, reduce food waste, boost your bottom line? Don't resort to outdated additives. Look to LaSoft's tried and true practices and the latest in fermentation science. You can strengthen or relax dough, shorten mixing times, soften crumb, and get full-scale samples to test on your own lines. With small order minimums, nothing goes to waste. Find cost-efficient ingredients at lasaffbaking.com. That's L-E-S-A-F-F-R-E baking.com. And now back to the conversation. So the big news lately has been that Tomcat Bakery announced a partnership with Dot Foods to be able to pursue nationwide distribution. What does that mean on the operations side for the bakery? It's been really great. And it's a really exciting time at Tomcat right now. I think, you know, the pandemic was a very, as you know, Long Island City was really at the center of all uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. And it was it was a very difficult time. We took a bakery that had been basically open continuously, never closing for more than 24 hours at a shot for 30 some odd years and had to close it for two months, r- really out of safety concerns. I mean, our, our employee for the you know, safety of our employees. So getting that sort of restarted and, you know, getting things back into line and finding a new normal has been a a three-year process, uh, I think, as it has for everybody. But I think for us, DOT made a lot of sense. We talked to DOT many times over the years. And one of the things about our frozen program, which is what, you know, DOT is uh, redistributing for us, our frozen program was designed in a couple of unique ways. One is that when we decided to do a frozen program, we decided to really only play away games. 
So we weren't going to build a frozen program by, you know, expanding into New Jersey and Connecticut and Massachusetts and upstate New York. We, we did get customers in those areas, but really we focused on trying to do things in Florida and Texas and North Carolina and really choosing to to pitch ourselves further out. So we built a fairly robust frozen program using our own sort of LTL model. And that was deliberate because we didn't want to, we wanted to know that we could, if we did this, we could do it anywhere. And I think over the 10 or 12 years that I've been involved with the frozen program, we've done, I think almost every single state by LTL, including Hawaii and places. So it's, it, we've managed to pull it off, but as uh, we made it through the pandemic, as we all know, freight and supply chain became enormously difficult and enormously expensive. And our LTL was uh, getting really burdensome for the customers. Not only could we not, you know, afford to give them the same sort of pricing on freight that we've been giving them because our freight costs were going up. And we actually did, as many people did, several price increases, but one was just for freight for people who were delivered. And that, that, Really, that's what really stuck with me was we got to find another way to do this. Also, the, just the delays in the supply chain. So things that were out of our control, you know, we were producing to order and we still are, but, you know, you would place an order and it'd be ready on our dock in two weeks. But then, you know, you might have another two weeks now before it would arrive at the distributor because of logistics issues and trucks being missed and not being able to get a dock appointment because even though we're two weeks, their their docks are three weeks out. So it's very... Yeah, it became very frustrating. And one of our sister companies, uh, Vita France, had recently transitioned over to Dot. And so we talked to Dot about, you know, how can we make this work? And I think finally the numbers really worked out for us because we were we were in such a position with with freight and with cost and with the customers that it just it just made sense finally. It really made sense for us to make this move. And it gives us sort of the next level for Tomcat in terms of distribution in, in the US. So um and from a from an operations standpoint, uh, you know the benefits are multiple. We you know we're not ha- trying to produce fifty different orders in a week. We're trying to produce like three, <laughs> and so all that volume is on each SKU is sort of you know uh, condensed into one order of instead of you know three different fifty five case orders, you have one big one hundred sixty five case order. So I assume that's then streamlined production and scheduling then. It, it has. Um, uh, I would, I would say that our our production manager would definitely agree with you that it is a lot easier um, to schedule. You can do longer runs. We don't have multiple dates kind of vying for priority in the system. We know we've got a much more regular pulse of orders and shipments. We still have some direct customers, but we've moved to mostly uh, a pickup model. So we. You know, we're not as involved in the freight process, which is good because we're involved in distribution on the fresh side. And that's that's a lot of responsibility. And on the frozen side, to be able to leave that to a, a, a trusted partner is, is a real boon. It also frees up people in, in the warehouse. They don't have to, you know, pick all these orders and make them all match up and get all these. You know, we're already printing license plates and stuff to put on the, the pallets so that they would end up in the right place. And, uh, you know, we had a great LTL partner at the time. I mean, I would not take anything away from that LTL carrier. We used them for many, many years, but ultimately having the condensing of the orders and putting it all together was, uh, really beneficial. And then of course, you know, we're not trying to chase down, you know, 35 invoices. You're working with one group that is, you know, ordering and paying and just the simplification from our standpoint was, was really, 
really fantastic. And we knew once we kind of put it all together that we it had to be done. So we talked to our customers. Uh, most of our customers already were getting deliveries from Dot and liked Dot a lot. And um, you know, on their end, they they got to get product with much less lead. I mean, they went from anywhere from three to four weeks to like four days. You know, not having to hold our product in inventory, buy it in four pallet or two pallet increments, just it made things so much easier for them. And again, makes it easier for everybody in the US to try the products. So it's been it's it's been a really, really exciting time. Um, in fact, I we have a team of salespeople right now out at the uh, Dot Innovation Show uh, here in June. That's awesome to hear. I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about the frozen product because that's really opened up the ability for an artisan bakery like Tomcat to grow a nationwide distribution. Sounds like you were already doing had a robust frozen distribution before Dot Foods. What was the learning curve to adapt the bread to a frozen process? So that yes. Uh Taking a large fresh bakery and doing frozen bread uh, is a trick. But like almost everything that that we've done in our you know, 35 years, uh, it's something our customers wanted and they they asked us to figure out. So we did it. The process was oh, first of all, I would I, I need to sort of underline that like we we weren't coming into this the way that other many other bakeries have, have developed their frozen programs, which was, you know, maybe doing something that was par-baked that people would finish off. I think that was a, the, the sort of early days of frozen artisan bread was really focused on a par-bake and that the only way you would have great bread is if you baked it yourself when you received it. What we heard from customers early on was we want the same product that you're making that, you know, chefs, for example, in Florida, we found that a lot of them were from New York. And I remember your ciabatta dark. And there's no way you're going to do a par-baked version of the ciabatta dark. The ciabatta dark is a pretty much a giant loaf of bread. It's got a very impossibly thin crust that is fully caramelized on the outside, which is to say that when you say dark, I mean, you're saying dark. I mean, it's very, very dark. <laughs> and But inside, it's got a very open cell structure um, and a sort of creamy white open cell structure. It's just the, 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 the lure of the bread is the contrast between the crust and the crumb and the way it kind of cracks onto pieces. So what we needed to do was a fully baked program. I mean, everything we needed to do was fully baked, which actually made things a lot simpler because we didn't have to worry about a lot of the preparation instructions. All the bread could be warmed and refreshed, but it wasn't required. If you wanted a burger bun, you could pull it out and thaw it, and then um, it would be ready to you know, hit the grill and be toasted or whatever it is that you, you're going to do with your burger bun from there. So, so that made things a lot simpler because bread as a product freezes very, very well. We just have to be conscious of how we're moving it through our process, how we're cooling it, how we're packaging it and how we're freezing it. Um, so we do have early on, we actually had, we're doing mostly bulk product. And so we have a, a room size blast freezer that can blast freeze product, bring it down very quickly, and then attach cold packing room. And over the years, we've developed lots of different ways to move products through our process into a frozen case that has a, a, a good shelf life. We've always kept our shelf lives a little tighter than other frozen bread providers, mostly because we're making to order and um, we didn't want the bread. You, know, you don't want bread that's been sitting in a freezer for a year. I mean, we, we want you to be using the product up and replenishing them you know, frequently. So, so we had shorter shelf lives. Um, I think the pandemic sort of opened our eyes to some of the, what the length could be and what, what was acceptable because we were testing out a lot of different 
lengths in the freezer, but we're still uh, among the shorter shelf life frozen artisan products. And the fact that you're getting it, you know, it's maybe three weeks out from production and you're getting it into your restaurant and you're starting to use it um, is what makes it so good. So those those two factors really helped us guide us through this that process that we didn't have to do something special or add a special enzyme or, you know, ingredient to make the frozen bread work. The frozen bread works really well. It's just, you know, it's not going to stay frozen for 16 years. And we set, I think, very appropriate um, guidelines for what frozen bread should be. So the ability to distribute nationwide opens up a huge opportunity for Tomcat Bakery to grow. How will the bakery be supporting that growth while also remaining true to that quality piece that we were talking about earlier? One thing uh, as we've grown up over the years is that we've that we've really taken to heart, especially coming out of you know the closure in 2020 and and sort of the reboot of the bakery was to be very clear about what we're good at and not to go chasing things that we're not going to be good at. So we know the things that are in our wheelhouse. And just because we can do something doesn't mean we necessarily should be doing it. We're basically looking at how does this fit into our portfolio? Is it something that, you know, is it an opportunity we just can't pass up? Or is this maybe something we could be doing, but doesn't necessarily, doesn't get us excited as a, as a bakery to pursue. So we know what we're going to be good at. I, I remember very distinctly, you know, when we were working in the South selling bread, you know, especially in Louisiana, there was a lot of question of, do you make a, a bread for, you know, we do for a po' boy? And knowing what that kind of bread that is, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, I like nothing more than a great po' boy from New Orleans, but but there's a certain kind of bread that you expect it to be on and it ain't Tomcat. I mean, it, we're doing more of a crispy crust or we do more of a, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a different style of bread. And so our response had to be, you know, I know what you're looking for. That's not us. You know, we, we could make one for you. And if you, if you'd like it, but wish you could pay more, I, I, you know, we can do that for you, but I, I think you'd be better off looking for the genuine article because there are people who do that extremely well. So just knowing what we're good at and having a, a strategy around our, our product portfolio and where we're going, that really helps us. Someone very smart said to me once, you know, your strategy is most important because it tells you what not to do. So it gives you the idea of, you know, what you should be focused on. And if this thing is, even though it's a good idea, if it's really not fitting with where you want to be, then you need to do something else. And we're also lucky in that we have these other sort of sister bakeries that are owned by Yamazaki. So we can, um, if it doesn't match for us, it might match for one of them. And we don't have to give the opportunity necessarily just turn flat, turn things down. We've, and we've done that successfully several times where something fits, um, maybe somebody's equipment set better. And so they can do it and they, they successfully close that business and, you know, it's all in the family. It's good. Peter, as we wrap up, what advice would you have for other artists and bakers who are looking to either scale up their business or even partner with a nationwide distributor like Dot Foods? I think the number one thing that anyone who's thinking about scaling up should do is homework. You need to do your homework. The The thing, for example, that we needed to do our homework on was um, some of the requirements around being a, par- a good partner to Dot. Like what are the, the characteristics of a good partner? Not just any partner, but a good partner. And, you know, DOT has very specific requirements around GS1 and EDI. And uh, so we had to get up to speed on that. And knowing that we were headed down that road, we started doing that work because there's nothing wrong with doing the work. I mean, you, 
even if you don't decide to go with whichever partner you're working with, knowing your way around GS1 compliance is not a bad idea. The same thing goes for GFSI. We are actually in the process of completing our uh, transition from uh, AIB inspection to GFSI inspection. We're going for a BRC. So, you know, just knowing that we need to get that done and and how, how to do that. But you, know, you can't kind of fumble your way through that. You have to do the homework. You have to talk to a lot of people. We had the advantage of having a sister company, Avita France, who had transitioned it to DOT the year before. So we got to spend some time with them and understand exactly what their challenges had been. And it made it so that our DOT account manager thought I was joking, but we, we signed a contract and our product was available in DOT in just about 30 days. So we... We wanted to set a land speed record because it was that important strategically for us to be available and to give our, our, make those, um, advantages for our, both our customers and for our production team and like make that real as quickly as possible. But we never could have done that if we didn't know our way around GS1 and have resources set up and had done all our, our work ahead of time. We were trying to be as prepared as possible. And I think that, you know, if you're looking to do scale, you need to know a little bit about what you're getting into and that way you're prepared and there's nothing worse. And I've been doing this long enough to have done it several times where you, you know, you you're working on a project and then suddenly you realize there's something big that you've missed and you need to catch up really fast. And some of this stuff can't be done fast. You have to do it, you know, uh, like, like BRC certification is not something you can just turn on overnight. It requires training the entire staff and training the managers and really changing the mindset inside the bakery around food safety to a more broad view. So, and you have to take it seriously. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a real uh, commitment. So everything we do, we try and do it that way. But yeah, knowing a little more than you, than you think you need to <laughs> before you embark on something like this is a really good idea. Yeah, that's great advice. Thanks for sharing, Peter. Well, thank you so much, um, Peter, for joining us today and telling us about all the exciting things that are going on at Tomcat Bakery. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. I, if I may, I'd just like to um, let you know that we're actually about to introduce two new products at the Dot Innovation Show, one of which is uh, we're coming out with a line of products based on Japanese milk bread. We've been working with with the master bakers at Yamazaki, and that's been a, a really great journey for us working with them to get the flavor and the formula. I think we have an Americanized version of it. I don't think it, which is interesting because the bread went sort of, you know, to Japan and then came back, coming back to America. So it's not a strictly tr traditional uh, shokupan, but uh, we're doing it as a, as a, as a loaf, as, as you would expect, but then also we've got it in a burger bun and a pull apart roll. And we, so we're really trying to get it so that it's available on, on menus, on American restaurant menus and hotel menus. And then, uh, soon this summer, we'll actually be announcing our first set of branded retail products. So that's, that's exciting too. So all, all of these things are happening and, uh, and, you know, we're just, we're just thrilled to, uh, to be sharing all these these new ideas and products, or even some things that we've been, you know, holding back to ourselves, <laughs> you know, bringing home to ourselves. So we're we're really excited, and thank you so much for the opportunity to, to talk to you. It's been it's been great. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for listening to Scent Sliced Bread. If you'd like to join the conversation, leave us a voicemail at 816-968-7772. 
or you can record a message using the Voice Memo app on your smartphone and email it to podcast at sozlin.com. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this season, Lasoff. If you want to protect your margins and product quality, bake with Lasoff. When you want soft, clean label baked goods, bake with Lasoff. See how Lasoff supports artisan bakers at lasoffbaking.com. That's L-E-S-A-F-F-R-E baking.com. Don't forget to subscribe to Scent Slice Bread on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and drop us a review. Scent Slice Bread is a baking and snack podcast produced by Taryn Parker and hosted by Charlotte Atchley.